The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin, and I am happy to be joined this week as we dig into a UFC 273 preview. Matter of just days away, two title fights, of course, the return of Hamza Chemaev, and we're going to talk about the entire main card. I am excited to welcome in for the first time on the podcast a man who's one of the top analysts in the game, uh, works for ESPN, works for the UFC, calling fights for LFA, and I'm excited to have him here today. Alan Joban. Alan, welcome in. How are you? Thank you, my brother. I'm good, man. I'm in Vegas right now, so staying busy. And, and you were telling me right before the show started, you've had almost every analyst on the show, so I'm glad to finally get on here and we can knock it out and have a fun show, man. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I was watching one of the UFC broadcasts a couple weeks ago, and I was like, how have I not had Alan on the show to do some breakdowns? And I was like, perfect timing with UFC 273 coming up, big card coming up, so I thought this is perfect timing. Of course, we got two title fights the return of Hamza Chemaev. And I got to be honest, like, I'll, I haven't really had a chance to like dig into the entire card, but like I was super impressed by everybody on this card. I mean, beyond the main card, of course, you got Aspen Ladd making her return, Raquel Pennington in that fight. Now you got Marco Madsen and Olympian in there, uh, Mickey Gall making his return, Anthony Hernandez, you know, I mean, Jarzinho Rosenstrike and, and Martin Tiber are on the prelim. So this is actually a pretty stacked card. Yeah, some fun ones. Like you just said, the, uh, Rosenstrike, anytime he fights, you got to just beware. Don't blink because, you know, he's such a power hitter in the heavyweight division. Um, but I didn't see the rest of the prelims cards. I'm happy to hear some of those. And Mickey Gall, you know, Mickey um, seems to be getting better throughout his career. I believe he just went because he was before he was training over with um, with Matt Brown, right? Quite a bit yes. with Matt Brown uh -huh. over there. Looks like he made his way to Florida down to um, um, Sanford MMA, which is it's just, it seems to be like a, a gym on the rise. So many, 
so many great partners over there, training partners in a wall, especially if you're welterweight to middleweight over there. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's death row over there. I mean, it's just so many killers over there. So I think it's a good move for me. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. But we're going to talk about the main card tonight. We're going to kick things off with the first fight of the night where Alexi Olenek, the ageless wonder that he is, uh, <laughs> will return to action and he takes on a short-notice opponent in Jared Vandera. Of course, he was originally slated to fight, uh, fight Alir Latifi, a card that you and I were both at at UFC Columbus. Unfortunately, Latifi got ill, couldn't fight. They rebooked the fight, and it appears, unfortunately, Latifi still isn't ready to compete. So they found mm-hmm. Olenek a new opponent. Now he's facing Jared Vandera, who, of course, is coming off a hard-fought split decision loss to, Ale- uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, God, I just blanked out his name, Andre Orlovsky, excuse me. Uh, okay. Vandera's a, a serviceable guy. All Both these guys are coming off losses. I think Olenek's off three losses in a row, and Vandera's off two losses in a row. So, again, kind of a bit of a either guy needs a win here, but – Alan, I got, I got, you know, I listen, I'm one of those people. I've always been really high on Alexi Olenek. I'm not going to say I ever thought he would be a UFC champion because that would be me lying. I never thought that about him, but man, I love watching this guy fight. Like, it's just like, even, even in a losing effort, I know he's always one takedown one, one moment away from pulling off an Ezekiel choke. And, and I just love that he's still doing his thing. I think he's what 43, 44 years old at this point. Like he's one of the oldest fighters in the yeah. UFC. He's got he's got like 90 fights on his resume or whatever it is. Something ridiculous. Uh I just love watching this guy compete. Yeah, I mean that's the story on him, right? He's one I want to say he might even be 44. One of the oldest guys, as you said, he's got a thousand fights. He's got more fights than a lot, probably that the rest of the guys on the card combined. Um, he's going against who Jared Vendere, you said, yeah. and, 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 and Vendere, you say it's coming off of a fight with, um, with, uh, Arlowski. who did you say it was? Arlowski. Arlowski. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, right. So they're giving him two older guys in a row, which is kind of interesting. You know, in the original matchup with Elir Latifi, um, I was picking Elir in that fight because this is the thing with Oleski, Oleski Olenek, he's a submission expert. I mean, he's one of the best in the world. He's shown that. But you've got to be able to submit people. And against Latifi, Latifi is a guy that is built like a fire hydrant, has no neck, and he's never been submitted in his career. In that matchup, I was going with Latifi. Now we have a completely different matchup. Olenek going against Vandera. I don't, I don't know, man. I really don't know. I, I, I don't know. you saying that Vandera is coming off of a loss. I, I would kind of lean towards Olenek, maybe get something, you know, if you can get him down and throw in one of those chokes or something. But um. At the heavyweight division, especially at that age, it's really hit or miss because you'll see Alexi Olenek have a beautiful performance. And then you'll see him go against somebody who's athletic and, and, and moves well. I don't know, feel like a Walt Harris, right? And you remember how that fight went. He just he was so agile. He was able to get Alexi Olenek out of there in no time. So Alexi Olenek is very hit or miss. And as you said, I think he's on a bit of a, a, a three-fight skid at the moment where he would definitely need a win in this matchup. Yeah, I, I still like him to get it done because he's been preparing – you know, he's been, you know, getting ready for a fight, whereas Vendera, you know, hasn't been doing that. And I, and I like Jared Vendera, but Jared Vendera is not the most athletic heavyweight. He's not the quickest heavyweight, and he's not the hardest heavy, hitting heavyweight. Not to say he can't knock people out with one punch. I think every heavyweight could probably do that. But I just, I think this stylistically is a fight that Olenek can win, because I'm with you. The Latifi fight, I was going with Latifi. He has no neck. How are you going to choke a guy with no freaking neck? I mean, yeah. come on now. So I like Olenek to get it done here. Again, I, I think we've kind of seen the ceiling for Alexi Olenek. Not that there's any shame in that. He's never going to be a, you know, a top-tier heavyweight in the UFC. And at his age, again, I think at this point, he's just having fun 
fighting because he loves doing it, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, again, I think I think this is a winnable fight for him. I think Latifi would have been tougher. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Everything that you just mentioned about Jared not being a power puncher, not being the fastest, most agile guy on the feet, those are the certain things that Olenek has trouble with at a guy at his age, 43 years old. And he's just not a natural striker, Olenek. He's a natural anaconda. He's a natural flat-footed, once they hug you, wrestle you to the ground, and find a powerful way to squeeze you in places that normally you wouldn't get a submission, but he finds a submission. So he has such a, a powerful s- squeeze. And he's just so good at finding, finding the submission there. But if he's going up against an opponent that doesn't possess these type of you know, explosive capabilities, it gives him that better chance of finding that squeeze and getting a win. Now you 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 have trained and fought for so much of your life. Have you ever been put in an Ezekiel choke? I haven't, but I tell you what, when Olenek first came to the UFC, and I, I don't remember which bout it was, but I remember we were kind of like or the, or the broadcast, the commentary was like, he's got nothing here, and then all of a sudden you see guys tapping or going to sleep. That's you know that's the next thing that everybody's trying at the gym the next day, which always is fun. So I remember going to Black House. And we were all trying to choke each other out with the Ezekiel <laughs> choke, you know, and seeing, and we're like, oh, you know, I'm not feeling it. And some people, some people were just naturally better at it. And I believe it's one of those chokes, A, you have to have a tremendous squeeze. Um, and then B, it's also body type. You looked at Olenek, he's a big man, a big, strong man with long arms. And he's able to kind of wrap around some of these bigger heavyweights guys and gets his hands with enough, enough torque on it to get those chokes, but certain people that have maybe shorter arms and not as tremendous of a squeeze probably wouldn't have as much success, but he's built for that choke. It's so funny. That's a choke. I would imagine you'd have to get with the gi on. Like I see that choke and I'm like, that's a collar choke. It's where it, that's, it roots that's from. A, exactly. That's yeah. That's from. a gi choke. Cause I remember when I first started doing jujitsu, those were gi chokes. And I was like, how's this guy pulling it off without a gi on? I was like, what's this guy doing? Yeah. Yeah. He, it, it was like when we first saw that it was the, it was the um, the the uh, Oven Saint Prue, you know, the 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 choke that you know nobody knew what it was. Now everybody's pulling it off. Well, I wouldn't say everybody's pulling off the Ezekiel, but we know about it now because of them. That's true. That's true. Uh, let's move on to the strawweight division. A, a kind of a pivotal fight coming up on this card between Mackenzie Dern and Tisha Torres. Of course, Tisha Torres coming on three wins in a row, looking very impressive in her last win over Angie Hill, uh, Angela Hill. Angie, I think, is what we all call her. Angela Hill professionally mm-hmm. is her name. And Mackenzie Dern, of course, coming off a tough decision loss, but a fight of the night effort against Marina Rodriguez, which stopped her winning streak. I think she had won three or four in a row. Of course, we know Mackenzie Dern, incredible ground technician, one of the most dangerous submission fighters in the history of the women's division. Tisha Torres, incredible striker, definitely one of the smaller fighters at strawweight. I know this mm-hmm. seems like the classic striker versus grappler fight. I think McKenzie, you know, working with Jason Perillo, she's worked a lot on her striking. She's gotten a lot better with her striking. But I don't think, and I've talked to McKenzie. I talked to McKenzie a couple of weeks ago, and she said, I'm not, I'm not making a secret of what I'm going to do. I'm, I want to get the fight to the ground where I can dominate. And, you know, Tisha has looked great in her last few fights, but, you know, she did, you know, she did have some struggles before that. She lost to Jessica Andrade. She lost to Yoani on Jacek again. No shame whatsoever losing here. But it feels like this is a fight, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, but I feel like this is a fight that one of these fighters is going to remain like a top five straw weight, and the other one is going to be a little bit on the outside looking in after this one. Yeah, maybe so. You know, I mean, honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know, judging on, like, what they're ranked right now or anything like that. But Mackenzie Dern came into the UFC, uh, and it was, like, question marks surrounding her, right? You know, 
Um, she had the baby while she was fighting. Um, she had trouble making weight. Sometimes she was switching gyms. Um, she was trying to find her rhythm is what I'm getting at. And then she kind of found her rhythm uh, and began to climb the rankings and doing very well in the division. Tisha Torres has been around forever, obviously, as we know. I feel like she's hitting her stride, though, man. This is a, an interesting matchup. I feel like Tisha Torres, um, you can say striker versus grappler, but Tisha Torres is so well-rounded. I know Mackenzie Duran has improved her striking tremendously, but you just mentioned it. She's, there's no secret, right? Easiest path to victory is always the smartest way to take a fight. Mackenzie Duran being one of the highest level submission artists in the women's division in the UFC, she's going to be looking for any opportunity to get this to the ground. It makes it tough against somebody like Atisha Torres, who's so compact built and so explosive in and out, right? Because, I mean, she's shredded. Atisha Torres is just, she's shredded up, uh, very quick twitch muscle fiber, explosive in and out movement. And she's the type of person that creates scrambles that probably will make it tough for the non-wrestling grappler like Mackenzie Dern. If Mackenzie Dern was a double-legger or she knew how to chain wrestle and get her to the ground easily, but, you know, she's still in that kind of jujitsu wrestling world where nothing against her, but, you know, she you normally would probably have to drag somebody down to the mat or work a leg lock, get them to fall down, jump on them there. So I think it may not be as easy of a time for her getting Tisha to the mat. If she does get Tisha to the mat, I think she could do some damage. Yeah, I, I, I like McKenzie. You know, McKenzie has shown, you know, just like in the fight with Marina Rodriguez, I mean, she got that fight to the ground. Now, credit to Marina. She didn't get submitted, but, you know, things got dicey for a little bit there. And then I know, again, you know, not trying to make excuses for McKenzie. You know, she talked about having a knee injury going into that fight. She ended up having surgery afterwards, so she was a little wary of, you know, going for takedowns, you know, being able to really commit to her takedowns and things like that. And that was also a five-round fight. So, of course, maybe you're a little apprehensive about going, you know, kind of forgive the forgive the phrase, but like balls to the wall. You know, you don't want to go crazy early because then maybe you run out of gas late. Uh, I agree. Tisha is is incredibly fast on her feet, really quick movement, good at getting out of bad spots. But I'm always reminded of that fight with Jessica Andrade. I think she gave up like nine takedowns in that fight. Now, of oh. course, Jessica Andrade is a monster. Make, I mean, she's a freaking monster. Make no mistake about it. Former champion. Again, no shame in losing to her. But you know, nine takedowns against a fighter who's not as necessarily known as a, as a huge grappler. You know, we know Jessica yeah. for huge knockouts. We don't know her as like a huge grappler. I think McKenzie, because this is a three-round fight, and I think she can and she will have a bit of a size advantage. We know Tisha's a little undersized for strawweight. I like McKenzie to get the job done here. I don't know if she's going to submit her because, as you mm -hmm. said, Tisha has never been submitted. But I think rounds one and rounds two, if she can go out there, get the takedown, get the ground control, work for the submissions, make Tisha defend, that's how I think she gets the job done. I don't know that she'll submit her, but I still like McKenzie yeah. to get the job done here. Yeah, I'm a fan of both women. I really enjoy watching them both. Uh, but I'm going to go on the other side of the table with this one, man. Keep it interesting. You know, they're fighting on a pay-per-view card, which means when the larger octagon, the 30-foot octagon, makes it a lot more room to use that footwork, a lot harder to get somebody pressed against the cage. I'm going to use that to the advantage of Tisha Torres. I think Tisha squeaks out a decision in this one. That's a good point about the cage. I didn't think about that. I'm so used to the apex now. I forget we actually have a new cage back again. Uh, yeah. Alan, it's time. Let's talk about the fight that a lot of people, I mean, we got two title yeah. fights in this card and, and, and a fight that I think I, I, I mean, listen, I mean, no disrespect to the title fights, but I think the fights that's the one fight that everyone has their eyes on. It's almost like the, 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 the main event without being the main event is Gilbert Burns taking on Hamzad Shamaya. Hamzad has gotten all the hype in the world. 
He is like a five to one favorite over Gilbert Burns, which to me seems a little crazy because Gilbert is an established, proven veteran, former title contender, arguably push, you know, I mean, I know that, you know, Colby definitely won rounds against, you know, Camaro, but I mean, no one hurt Camaro the way that Gilbert did. Gilbert dropped him in that first mm-hmm. round, had him hurt early. I think it's crazy to underrate him as much, but I, I listen, I talked to Daniel Cormier a week and a half ago. He's like, this is, this guy's real. Kamsat is the, mm-hmm. he called him the quote unquote scariest contender he's seen in a long while. You know the sport better than me. You were a fighter. You know it. You analyze the sport. Do you believe Hamza Chemaev is the real deal? I do. I'm on board. I think that Saturday night at UFC 273, our questions will be answered. He is the real deal. He has that X factor above any prospect that I see in MMA at this time. He stands head and shoulders above all of them because he has that X factor. The two divisions, the strength and the grappling, the one-punch knockout, walk-off, He's got everything. He's a scary individual. If he can go in there on 273 and walk through Gilbert Burns, there's no stopping him. That's when he's going to start demanding the title shot. And, and so th- this fight is so looked at, not only because Kamzat Shemayev is just the, the guy that everyone has their eyes on because he's the hottest prospect, the hottest possible contender, but it also it makes waves in the welterweight division, right? Because if he does get a finish over Gilbert now, in my eyes, at least, he's the next guy in line. I mean, why, who else are you going to do? You got to see what happens with Usman and Leon Edwards. Whoever wins that fight, you would think Hazma would be the next guy in line. Now, if Leon Edwards would get a win over Usman, then there might be an, an immediate rematch. If not, if, if Usman retains the title, then you probably got to be looking at Usman versus Hazma Chemayev, which is... I mean, you look at his body of work in the UFC, how quickly he rose to stardom. And what, what, what is the number? It's something crazy. He's only taken one significant strike damage in four or five fights. I mean, yeah, it's, ridiculous. It, it's, one of the, it's one of the most impressive resumes we have ever seen inside of the UFC. It is. It is. And listen, I'm like, it's a weird one because I'm a believer in Hamza Chamayev. I think he is an animal. I think he is a beast. And he's a massive guy for this weight class. That being said, I just I cannot I cannot discount Gilbert Burns. I think Gilbert is just being totally mm-hmm. counted out in this fight. He's heavy-handed. You could argue he might have the best jiu-jitsu in this division now that Damian Maya is gone. Uh he's incredibly and he obviously has a win over Damian Maya at that, but he's incredibly strong, uh you know, good grappler, I mean good wrestler, excuse me, good solid wrestling, incredible grappler, heavy-handed. Uh, and and great cardio. We saw him push the pace for five rounds against Tyron Woodley. We've seen him be in those moments. And I will. And I know this is a weird thing to throw out there, and everyone's going to say you're crazy because it's not fighting; it's wrestling. But I watched his wrestling match. Hamza Chimaev had a freestyle wrestling match in a cage, albeit against Jack Hermanson. And Jack Hermanson's a Greco-Roman guy, not a freestyle guy, so it's a completely different skill set. But by the end of the second period, which these are three-minute periods. Hamza was slowing down a little bit. Now, I know I, it's not fighting. It's wrestling. Who knows if he was even in shape? I don't know. Right. But he was slowing down a little bit. He wasn't shooting as hard. He wasn't. And, and the second mm-hmm. period ended kind of like in a 0-0 tie, and he had already racked up enough points early. I think if Gilbert can survive the early onslaught and make it into the second round and get into the third, Hamza Shemaev, 10-0, never seen a third round ever in his career never done it now great point i know he's got all everyone says in the gym he's got all the cardio in the world oh my god this guy could go for three days straight 
great. I know a lot of guys who have great careers in the gym. Alan, I'm sure you've seen lots of them, but that doesn't mean it translates into the cage. You and I both know this. Some guys who are just incredible gym fighters, unfortunately, they never quite be able to do the same thing in the fight. If Gilbert survives early, I like Gilbert to win this fight. I really do because I think that he, I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. I think people are counting him out and I think he knows that. And I like that about Gilbert Burns. So I'm going with the upset. I'm going with Gilbert Burns to pull Gilbert. it off. I, I don't know if it's wow. going to be easy. And, and, and Hamza may finish him in the first two minutes. That's how good I think Hamza Chemaev is. But if Gilbert survives. If he survives, yeah. If he survives, he gets deep in that second round, gets in that third round, starts tiring him out a little bit. We're going to see really what Hamza Chemaev is made of. I know what Gilbert's made of. We've seen him. He's proved it. I'm not I think I'm not ready. Case. I'm not ready to jump on the Hamza Chemayev just yet. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. I, I think that's a great take on it. You know, Chemayev has answered a lot of questions for us so far. Can he compete at welterweight? Yes. Can he compete at middleweight? Yes. One punch knockout power. Can he grapple in the UFC? Can he dominate people? And then as you mentioned, in that grappling match, he's able to dominate high-level competition when it comes to grappling. The difference maker, well, let me finish with that. The one answer, the one question that hasn't been answered, as you just mentioned, it's a great point. We haven't seen him in a long-round fight, especially a grappling-heavy fight that might possibly go through rounds. So let's break down this fight real quick. It starts on the feet. Both guys are throwing bombs. Both guys can cover distance very well. Gilbert, tremendous hit power in his hands. Chemayoff. I think he holds the power in his hands and his legs. He's got long legs. He covers distance very well. With in one of his opening bouts in the UFC, head kick to the ankle pick takedown. I mean, the diversity from the highest strike to the lowest takedown, it just shows how talented. And that's when they caught my eye, seeing that he could transfer from those type of strikes. If he gets Gilbert down, when you talk about wrestling, he's probably the better wrestler than Gilbert. Do I believe he's a better submission artist than Gilbert? No. No. Do I, do I feel that an, an entanglement between these two comes uh, that comes that would finish on top? Yes, I do. So I think he would be on top of Gilbert. Is he going to submit Gilbert Burns? I don't think so. Could he ground and pound him a good bit? He could probably hurt him, but I feel like Gilbert's going to be good enough uh, as uh, the superior jujitsu practitioner to stay out of damage, to stay out of damage. So to, to your point, Hamzat, Let's say he doesn't get the knockdown, the knockout rather, and he gets on top position, but he's not able to finish Gilbert. Same thing plays out in round two, not able to finish Gilbert. What happens in round three? Either Gilbert's able to come back and we see Hamzat start to slow down. As you mentioned, we haven't seen a third round Hamzat Shamayev. How does he perform? Or even if Shamayev wins this fight, but if it's by three round decision and it was a non-entertaining fight because he couldn't put Gilbert away, and he couldn't really inflict tremendous damage on Gilbert because his jiu-jitsu was too crafty. He kept offsetting Chemayev's hips. Does that warrant Chemayev next title shot if it's a lackluster decision win? I don't know. I don't think so. I think maybe then you have to put him against another test. I think if he starches Gilbert, he's the next man in line. And 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 the the the, the folklore of Chemayev gets only greater and greater. But that's a great point. Haven't seen that third round. Uh, cardio out of him, and I don't really see him submitting him. Possible ground and pound. I think he has a better chance of knockout on the feet. Secondary, I think possible TKO from ground and pound stoppage, which I'm not sure about. But I don't see a submission in sight. Yeah. So, do you are you going with Hamzat? <laughs> I guess I didn't give you a clear answer to that. I was 
I was uh, breaking on the fight. But I'm going to go as much as I like Gilbert, man. Again, nah, I'm going to say this about the whole court. I like all these guys. Um, I hate doing picks as a fighter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'm going to ride this train, man. I'm going to go with Hamza Chemayev. I don't think the numbers are correct. I want to say he's like a plus 500, which to your point, if you're going with Gilbert, put some damn money on that one because um, that that's those are crazy odds, I think. But um, I'm, I'm going to go with Chemayev for sure. You know, and I got to be honest, like, what's better for the division? And this is not a knock on Gilbert. We've seen Gilbert fight for the title. New blood think, is always better. 100%. I think I think, I think, think Usman needs Shemaev. Don't you agree? I mean, he already he already yeah. vanquished Colby Covington. And, and, and I, listen, I have the utmost respect for Leon Edwards, but I just don't like Leon's chances in that fight. It's not a knock on Leon. I just think Kamar Usman is that good. Uh, I think Usman needs Shemaev because I think people will pitch. If Shemaev rolls through Gilbert Burns, there's going to be a lot of people picking Chimaev to beat Kamaru Usman. And Kamaru yeah. hasn't had that. You know, I mean, even in the Colby fights, as good as Colby was, and Colby, for all his ridiculous antics and stupid things mm-hmm. he says, he's an incredible fighter. Very still, still a lot of people weren't picking him to win that fight. Oh, Colby's this, Colby's that, Usman wins. Gilbert Burns, same thing. Gilbert's this, Gilbert's that. They used to train together, but Usman wins. I think Chemayev, a lot of people would pick him to beat Usman. I think in a way, Usman needs that. It's kind of like that Anderson Silva mystique. He needs that rival to push him. And I think Chemayev could be that guy. And, and you know, it's very interesting. This fight, if Chemayev gets past Gilbert, would tell Usman a tremendous amount of knowledge. I mean, he's probably got to focus on his, on his fight first. But if we do see, as you said, Chemayev losing steam in the second round, losing steam in the third round, getting maybe a lackluster performance or maybe getting a finish later on. Usman is a guy that goes in there with Kobe Covington. And Kobe Covington is the cardio machine, and that's how he drowns people. Not the best striker for sure, but he outstrikes strikers because his cardio is – his output is so much. He's able to drown people, even guys like – like um, 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 not Rory McDonald. Who am I thinking of? Um, oh, Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler, thank you very much. When Robbie Lawler fought – uh, Covington, we were like, okay, finally somebody's going to knock him out. And then it was the exact flip of the script, right? Um, he, he outstruck Robbie Lawler because he just drowned him. He was in his face, didn't let him breathe, and he does that. He could, what my point is, Kobe Covington couldn't do that against Usman. Usman has the cardio, he has the power, he has the wrestling. He has a size and strength advantage, and now he's more confident than the other because he's the best powerful pound fighter in the world, number one. Usman is not going to slow down. He's not going to be tired out by Kobe Covington. If we see a kink in the armor of Chemayev against Burns, Usman's got to be drooling at the, you know, at, at the mouth, thinking, okay, everybody thinks Chemayev's the guy to beat me, but Chemayev can't make it in rounds four and five against me. Like, like he knows he can. Usman knows he can do championship rounds. He's done it multiple times. We haven't seen Chemayev in the third round. So a lot of questions are going to get answered on that night. I tell you, I still dream of seeing Colby Covington against Hamza Chemayev. That's the matchup I would love <laughs> to see because – Again, for all the ridiculous things Colby does and says, he's an incredible fighter, and I would love to see that matchup. I don't know if it'll happen because, again, if Chemayev wins, I agree, probably going to push him into the title fight. And rightly so. You get through Gilbert Burns, you probably do deserve it. But I would like to see him fight Colby. I would really think – I think Chemayev-Colby would be a really interesting matchup. Well, if 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 Chemayev doesn't starch Burns and it's not the – it's kind of a lackluster dull performance and it doesn't – shoot him straight into the title shot. I think that would be a great matchup. Okay. Shamayev has a bit more to prove. Let's put him in a five round main event against Colby Covington, a five rounder against the cardio machine. If he passes that test, there's no questions asked. 
he, he deserves the title shot. But then we get to really test him. Yeah, absolutely. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We got two title fights to talk about on this card, Allen. Let's kick things off in the Bantamweight division where Aljamain Sterling will technically be defending his title against Peter Yan, who is the current interim Bantamweight champion. Kind of a weird scenario. We all know what happened yeah. the last time. It was a solid fight going through. Peter Yan was winning. Unfortunately, he hit the illegal knee. Aljamain couldn't continue. And, uh, you know, I said at the time, and I stick by it, listen, Peter Yan screwed up. He threw an illegal knee. It's not Aljamain's fault he couldn't continue. And when you look at the way that landed, I can't really fault him because he goes back out there and fights again. He may actually get knocked out. And then what are we going to say? Like, well, too bad on you for fighting. Uh, so none of this is Aljamain's fault. That being said, Peter Yan. I am so high on him. And listen, going into the first fight with Aljo, I picked Aljo. I thought Aljo's grappling, his 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 tenacity, his takedowns, his his size. I thought he would actually be able to get Peter Yan down and do what he does. Couldn't do it. Couldn't get him down. Yeah. Couldn't hold him down. Couldn't do much of anything. And then by the second, third, and then going into that fourth round, Yan was kind of lighting him up on the feet. What turned me completely around and I know it's a completely different stylistic matchup, but what Peter Yan did to Corey Sanhagen after that first round, I was blown away because I am so high on Corey Sanhagen, especially yeah. as a striker. I'm all in on Peter Yan now. I mean, I am. I really am. And I hate to turn, you know, kind of turn the tables on, on, on my boy Aljamain because he's such an incredible fighter. I really, truly do believe Peter Yan is the best bantamweight in the sport right now. And it's not, it's nothing against Aljamain. I'll pick Peter Yan to beat Aljamain. I'll pick Peter Yan to beat TJ Dillashaw. I'll pick Peter Yan to beat anybody right now, unless it's a freaky weird occurrence. If Peter Yan's on his game, I just have a hard time believing anybody beats him right now. I agree. I mean, he's kind of got the thing that the main event Alexander Volkanovsky has as well, where he's like a tremendous, powerful striker. He could grapple. He's tough to be submitted. I mean, he's just well-rounded, explosive, and built like that. He's very tough. 
Um, you look at Aljamain Sterling. He's had success throughout the majority of UFC career by being a grappler, right? I mean, he just gets a hold of you. I've rolled with Aljo. And the guy gets on my back, and he's like a backpack. You can't shake him. He gets there so fast. He finds a way to your back, and he's had success throughout his career. Eventually, you started seeing him get to the back by playing the range game. He's a kicker. He stays in out of striking range with the hands, and he throws these long kicks. He throws front kicks to your body, leg kicks. He disrupts your rhythm. He makes you get desperate and, uh, and aggravated and take an irresponsible strike, and then he changes levels, and he's on you, and he finishes the fight. That's the majority of his wins in the UFC. He's gotten some flag from it because sometimes they weren't always the most exciting because he was either all the way in or all the way out. He changed my thoughts on that when he fought my buddy, Pedro Munoz. Pedro's a terrific striker uh, all over, big power in his hands, and he outboxed Pedro in that fight. And he showed, look, he's not just a kicker with grappling. He's also got hands when he wants to sit on that inside range. Going into that first fight together, I was very curious to see how they would match up. And as you said, Peter Yamas having none of it, man. He was just an assassin in there. It ended illegally. And, and now we have this rematch today because of it. But I want to see how, how Aljo looks. And I don't want to – Aljo's my boy. Um, we've actually both had the same neck surgery, uh, the exact same one. I believe it was C5, C6, uh, disc replacement. Um, those are tough things to come back from, man. You know, they're not as bad as sometimes you see these fighters like Daniel Cormier, um, other fighters that have had the, the back fusion, a disc in the back. When they get that fuse, they never quite have the mobility that they quite had. You see, you saw that in, in Daniel's three fights with Stipe. He looked kind of lesser in each one of those. No disrespect to my boy DC, but he just didn't seem like the same youthful guy. Aljo's still young enough. And I fought two fights after my neck surgery. But I tell you what, going into the first fight after my neck surgery, man, I had done a lot of training in the gym. I had guys choke me out. I would tap out right away. I didn't want to mess anything up. I was saving it for the fight. But the first time I got hit hard and my head jolted, I go, holy shit, I hope my neck's all right. I'm wondering if Al Jermaine has any reservations going into it. Like, let me play safe. Let me go back to that old stay on the outside kick, 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 make Peter Jan make a desperate strike and then change levels. You know, we might not see it as an exciting fighter as what I'm alluding to. We might see a smarter, safer fighter because it didn't go well the first time. And now he's had neck surgery was he doesn't want to get caught with an uppercut or something crazy, much less a knee. He might play safe and play to the outside in this one. Can I ask you, Alan, because you went through that surgery, uh, because no fighter, and listen, I, I, I love Aljamain. I've known Aljamain for a lot of years. Incredible good, incredible dude. I love talking to him. Very smart guy. Uh, but he's also a wrestler, you know, and that's kind of his forte is jumping in. He talked about, and he told me this before, when he had, before he had the next surgery, that that was always something that hampered him because he couldn't really shoot mm-hmm. in. Because when you're shooting in, a lot of times you're shooting head first. And your head gets knocked by the takedown when you're going into a body, going into a knee, things like that. Um, no fighter is going to say, oh, yeah, I'm worried about my neck. Of course, they're not going to say that. You know what I mean? You yeah. might hear it afterwards. But you've been there. I mean, you know what it's like. And again, I know you're, you're I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to make excuses for Aljamain, but it's a real factor. Like you're thinking about it, right? Like it's something that you can't it, completely ignore. He's obviously been sparring, taking shots, and grappling, right? But the the adjustment that you make, because I've spoken to everyone. Chris Weidman was the first guy to have the surgery that I spoke to. Um, uh, um, I can't think of his name, but there's lots of guys in the UFC and in other organizations that have had the surgery. 
And the fight community is small. We've all reached out to one another. When you have this kind of neck surgery, they usually say, look, talk to these fighters. They've had it. And Aljo was, I'm the guy that Aljo called and wanted some advice with it. And I told him my story. Um, Aljo Main seemed to recover from this faster than normal. I think he's just, he's still pretty young and uh, good genetics. And so he was able to recover fast, but you make adjustments to your training. When somebody gets you in some type of crank, it's a tap. I'm not, I'm not fighting to go to sleep or get cranked in the gym and training. It's a tap. So you're always playing it safe in the gym. All right, you got me. Okay. Yeah. You were, you know, and, and then it's, it's, you got to tell the guy, you know, you had it locked in, but I tapped early because you don't want to make a, you don't want to mess, mess anything up if you're not fighting. So there always is a small reservation in your head. Like, how much can I go? Cause when you get this next surgery, you lose anywhere from 20 to 30% mobility, right? So cranks and chokes and things like that become different. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, how he does with it. There was a, um, there was another point I was going to make on it that I, that I can't remember at the moment. Um, but this is his first fight back from it. So we're going to see, I think, like I said, he has, um, tested it out in the gym. But it's real fight time. We're going to see what happens then. Yeah, and you you said it right there, and you mentioned with DC, and we've seen it with other guys. Like I said, the pain that Aljamain was in, he talked about this with me before. You know, he needed the neck surgery. But as you just said, the neck surgery still takes something out of you. You know what I mean? Like, you ne- you're never quite back yeah. to 100%. You're better than you were with it your neck. You know what I mean? That's for sure. But it doesn't mean you're 100%. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. I hundred percent. It does. Um, <laughs> it makes sense. And, um, I remember my point I wanted to make the one adjustment and I don't know for Aljo, but the one adjustment it made for me, um, was I'm not known as a wrestler, right. But I still wrestle my ass off every week in training. I just don't show it right. Because I'm more comfortable as a fighter, but in wrestling, when I got back to the gym, I had to change my wrestling, which messed things up for me because I would normally shoot a in, uh, head inside single leg or run through the body double leg. And for those people that aren't as familiar with wrestling, you're kind of taught at an early age, if this is the person's body, you hit a double leg head in the chest, you put your forehead in the chest and you run through them. That's a power double, baby. You smash through them. I could no longer do that. I could no longer hit the chest, hit the body with my forehead after the surgery, because I was at risk. I said, if I'm going to do anything, at least like a tap, on a submission, I could tap on a crank. You can't defend yourself from a collision to your neck, right? That's why football players always get the fusion. Fighters, the legs from getting fused because they want the mobility. So in the neck, they, we want to be able to turn. So that's why they get the disc replacement. But it's not as strong as a fusion upon impact. Football players need that impact. So I had to change the way that I shot. I would never head in the chest double leg anybody, and I would go head outside on my single leg. I had to change my wrestling. Algerman being a tremendous wrestler, that's probably going to be a big game plan in this fight. Will it change his wrestling approach in this fight? It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, and I and it, listen, you know, I love Aljo, and I think Aljo is an incredible fighter. And and my you know analysis of the fight isn't a knock on Aljo. I just I'm just I'm just really a big fan of what Peter Jan's been doing recently. That guy's a beast. His striking is so good. His boxing is incredible. I mean, again, when you go out there and outstrike yeah. Corey Sanhagen. And listen, no offense, TJ Dillashaw. I thought Corey Sandigan won that fight. Uh, you know, and, and then to go out there and outstrike him the way he did, he had a, a tough first round, and then he made the adjustments and just boxed up Corey for the better part of the next four rounds. It was amazing. And like I said, my 
praise of, of Peter isn't a knock on Aljo. It's purely praise on Peter Yan. Like, it's not a knock on Aljo and Sterling. Again, I would pick Peter Yan to beat most. You would beat every band away right now. I just, I'm that high on Peter Yan right now. Yeah, I, I agree. He's fast. He's quick. He boxes guys up. I don't know if I'm just buying into Aljo saying, I'm going to run all the way to the bank. I'm happy. I think what he's alluding to in some of these interviews is he's the champion now. So he's probably getting pay-per-view points. So he's the champion going into this matchup. He's not getting the $300,000 contender. He's getting, I'm the pay-per-view. I get pay-per-view points plus X amount. So he's making more money on this fight. This is what he's happy about, but he's also, showing a lot of swagger and confidence as if he knows something he's talking about. He feels very confident. I wonder if Aljamain, Aljamain from that first fight truly believes that he's gotten better from that fight, or if it's him kind of playing the role of the champion where you have to sell a fight, right? You have to be confident. You have to have a swagger. He's getting points now. And anybody knows that once you get to the level, you're getting points you got in your champion, you have to start selling fights. You have to give some back and forth. And he's giving a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of trash talking going on. I wonder if he truly believes it. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I just do. I do wonder if he truly believes he's going to come back and just shock the world and have a complete flip-flop from the first fight, or if it's just him doing as a champion is supposed to do and making this fight interesting. I don't know. But I think Jan probably is going to get the victory in this one. Yeah, it's a, it's a great matchup and uh and I really do I tell you what, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to Hamzat coming back uh, coming back. I'm looking forward to the main event. I think this is the one I'm most excited about to be honest, just because it's so much unfinished business. You know, we didn't get to see the first one end correctly, you know, it's unfortunate the way it ended. I think this is the yeah. fight I'm most excited about on this entire card. Uh re- let's move on to the main event, Alan. Of course, we got Alexander Volkanovsky making this return against the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. Of course, uh the Korean zombie is taking this fight not on short notice. He took it weeks ago. Of course, he he took it after Max right. Holloway was unable to fight, and they actually pushed this one back. It was originally going to be in March, now it's going to be in April. So he obviously had, I think, pretty much a full training camp to prepare. And I love that the Korean zombie is down in Arizona training with the fight ready team. I have become such a fan. <laughs> Of Henry Cejudo as a coach. I mean, Henry Cejudo yeah. was an incredible champion, but I think he's I think he's becoming maybe an even better coach. That being said, I was I was never a doubter of Alexander Volkanovsky. I thought he beat Max Holloway pretty clearly the first time. I scored Max winning the second fight. No offense to Alexander scored, but again, close fight. Coming out and doing and having that fight with Brian Ortega and, and having that battle in a couple of close moments, of course, he had a couple of submissions, but outside of that, he really poured on the punishment on the feet yeah. and really did a lot of damage there. And, and we know how tough Brian Ortega is. Kind of like with, with Peter Yan, I'm starting to be kind of all in on Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, that being said, I still really do want to see the third fight with Max because Max has looked yeah. so good in his last couple of wins. I like the Korean zombie, man, and I almost feel bad because it's like, man, this guy, like, you almost, you almost want to see the Korean zombie win. You want to see him reach that plateau, become a champion, but I just, I don't know, man. I think I think the only guy that I, I really see giving Volkanovski problems right now is Max Holloway, and it's just, again, it's mm-hmm. not, a, it's kind of like the Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling fight. It's not a knock on the Korean zombie. I'm just really high on Alexander Volkanovski right now. Yeah, as am I, as am I. Uh, you know, those two Holloway fights raised a lot of doubts in, in Volkanovski. Um, and this fight in particular actually became personal because Korean Zombie, you know, he, he, he uh, um, Volkanovski got wind of it. The Korean Zombie was saying, look, 
you should, you should be your shameful champion because he believes he's not the champion. He believes Max won that second fight that you're talking about. Um, and that was a very close fight. Uh, and, and, and credit to Max. I know Max isn't in this conversation really, but that first fight against Volkanovski, Volkanovski looked like a world beater. And it was like, how would Max Holloway ever do good against him? He looked so good. And Max Holloway was kind of, I don't want to say slowing down in his career, but, you know, he was the champion. He was the best. And now he's kind of not quite there. He's still at the top. Uh, and then Max Holloway comes back in the second fight and shocks the world saying, look, he made adjustments. And I think that wasn't the second fight, the one that he said he was like training and uh, no sparring and he was doing like shadow boxing. And it was like during the quarantine. Anyway, my point being, he looked tremendous, very close fight could have gone either way. Um, but that's the fight that the Korean zombie is saying, dude, you lost that fight, Alexander Volkanovsky. How, how shameful of you to be a champion. But the way that he looked against Brian Ortega, he's that world beater again. And to get out of a Brian Ortega submission choke, which nobody has been able to do so far and survive and put the lay down that kind of ground and pound consistently for that many rounds, tough, tough fight for Korean zombie. And, and, and the odds makers are showing it. I think this is the biggest significant uh, underdog on the fight. I, think, I want to say he's a, a minus 700 or something to win this fight. Bokonoski is over the Korean zombie. So they're not giving the Korean zombie any, any love and kind of somewhat rightfully. So you look at the zombie, uh, who's his last win? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, he had the fight. I was it Dan Ige? Was that his last one? I think that was his last one. Might he have been the, that. He had the loss to Ortega, then he had the win over Dan Ortega. Ige. Ortega. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was my point. Had a big win over Dan Ige, who's tremendous. But the way that Brian Ortega was, was able to look so good against Korean Zombie, I know I'm not trying to do the MMA math thing, but you can't help say it because this is somebody – who Volkanovski has fought both men, or at least has fought Brian Ortega. But Ortega looked like a ninja in there against the Korean zombie. It, 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 it can't help but think that it, you're going to see Volkanovski with his hand raised at the end of the night. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I, I love the Korean zombie. He's one of those guys you have a hard time not rooting for. But if there's one kind of knock on him, I would give a little bit, is that he does get hit in his fights. He, yeah. he, you know, he's a very, he's a huge offensive weapon, but he also gets hit in his fights. And I just don't think you can play that game with Alexander Volkanovsky. The guy hits like a truck. Uh, he's just, and his, I mean, talk about conditioning. I mean, when you can go five rounds, two times with Max Holloway and win. Mm-hmm. Good Lord. I mean, cause we know how good Max Holloway is. We know that guy will throw 500 punches in a round. You know what I mean? To go five rounds with him twice and walk out with the title both times, even if they're both close fights. Uh, and the, the first one wasn't as close. The second was close. Um, I just, again, Volkanovski's just on a roll right now. And, and again, unless he's somehow just looking past the zombie, which I don't think he'll do, uh, mm-hmm. if he's just thinking I'm going to go in there and roll through this guy, which, again, I don't think he'll do, um, I just have a hard time picking against him. And uh, as much as I love the zombie, man, I just think he takes a little bit too much damage. He puts himself into bad situations trying to take advantage of it. And I just don't think you can do that against Alexander Volkanovsky. I just think this guy's on a roll right now. And uh, he's, he's, he's kind of got that champion's momentum, kind of like what Usman's got, kind of what uh, what Israel Adesanya's got right now. When you start rolling, it's hard to stop that forward momentum. And I think Volkanovsky, I think he got a lot of respect coming out of that Ortega fight. Because I think a lot of people were giving him same thing you said about the zombie. Oh, you didn't beat Max? Come on. And then yeah. to go out and have that fight against Ortega, I think he got a lot of respect that he deserves 
So yeah, I, I think Volkanovski wins. I don't know if he'll get a finish or not because we know how incredibly tough the zombie is, but uh, mm-hmm. I have a hard time picking against Volkanovski in this one. Yeah, I, one thing that I don't think a lot of people are talking about yet, but is what if zombie wins? Can you imagine that the Korean zombie would then turn the division on its head right there? He took in taking the fight semi short notice, having not looked great against Ortega, did beat Dan Ige if he was able to win. And I think he would be probably our first Korean champion ever uh, taking that fight. It'd be crazy. And then you put uh, Henry Cejudo, who I imagine would be in this corner in the center of the octagon. <laughs> he'd, be wanting, he'd be wanting the coach of the year award over Khabib now. It, it, it would be madness. I mean, it would be pandemonium. How funny is it that we're coming up, you know, we're in the, we're barely started in the 2022 and we're talking about two guys who could be coach of the year, two former UFC champions, yeah. Khabib Nurmagomedov and Henry Cejudo. How crazy is that, right? Yeah, it's interesting to see that, man. But, you know, it's, it, it, it's, aren't these guys amazing coaches? They probably have some good coaching pedigree. Obviously, Khabib came from, you know, he learned everything from his father. So it was an easy transition for him. Henry Cejudo has been in combat sports his entire life. Is he an amazing coach? Don't know for sure, to be honest. I really don't know. I haven't seen that much of it. Can he make people believe in himself because he's achieved so many greatness, greatness in so many sports? 100%. Sometimes that's all it is. It's just saying, I'm going to a new place, a fresh place. This is a champion. This guy believes in me. This champion, Henry Cejudo, the double champ, the triple C, the gold medalist, he believes in me. I got him in his corner. That's going to get me over this hurdle, this edge that maybe mentally some fighters weren't able to get to. I think it just it, it, it helps. It's good to be a, a coach, but uh, to have good coaching, obviously, but just being a champion and believing in these fighters, I think it's helping these other fighters perform at higher levels as well. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. I remember interviewing Henry before his first fight in the UFC, and I'm a I'm a big wrestling guy, so of course I was, you know, kind of freaking out because he's a gold medalist. You know, it's so cool to have him mm-hmm. come to UFC. I remember sitting down and talking to him, and he was you know still very young in his career at that point, five or six fights, whatever it was, coming into the UFC, and just talking to him, you could tell like he has that motivational like ideology behind him. Like he's the guy who will pump you up to make you believe mm-hmm. you can win a gold medal, you know? And like, again, we can't discount the, 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 the mental edge in a fight. If he can build up the zombie and make him believe he can get the job done, maybe he can't get the job done. I have a hard time believing anybody beats Volkanovsky right now, but Hey, maybe that's the hurdle. Maybe he breaks through that mental hurdle with the zombie and gets him over the hump and he, and he becomes champion. You never know. It would be impressive. And I got to say, that Michael Myers mask behind your head has been <laughs> freaking me out for like the last 10 minutes. I can't take my eyes off. That's hilarious. Yes. That's hilarious. I, I got my horse like on behind me. Look behind me. I know. <laughs> you, got, you, got the, you got the window behind you. You got to keep an eye out there. He might be right behind I you. Know. I know. Halfway through this, I said it's staring. I was like, what is that behind you? <laughs> behind him. Uh, Alan, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, what what you got coming up? Of course, you're always busy doing the commentary thing, doing the uh, the analyst gigs for the UFC. What do you have coming up so people can kind of keep an eye out on what you got coming next? Yeah, I mean, it's just always busy stuff. You know, it's always staying consistent. I don't know the exact dates, but I know I'm working for the LFA. I do color commentary for them. If you haven't watched the LFA, again, this is a feeder to the, organiza- to the UFC organization. They put like 300 fighters in the UFC, and so most of the talent – I came from the LFA. It was actually called the RFA at the time, but I went four fights in the RFA. The UFC picked me up. Anyway, I do color commentary for them. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. As, as does like Michael Chiesa, Anthony Smith, we all rotate. Laura Sanko got her start there. So I have that coming up, and I'm still doing the death shows uh, with the UFC. And so, uh, yeah, guys, if you aren't following me, check me out at Alan Joban on social media. Um, but you'll see me on one of these shows real soon. 
I think we got to get you some commentary gigs in the UFC, Alan. I think you do a phenomenal job. I've watched those LFA broadcasts. Uh, I, I love that product they put on over there. And uh, I think, you know, contender series, whatever. I think we need to see Alan yeah. Band behind a UFC desk. I believe so. I think it'll be in some time in the near future. I've been banging on the door. Eventually, eventually it's going to open up. Absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you so much again for taking the time. I really do appreciate it, especially knowing how busy you are. So I appreciate you doing this breakdown with me. Uh, cannot wait to see what you, what you do next. Uh, safe travels and whatever else you do. I know you're always on the road and doing things like that. So thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, let's do this again. I said you were, uh, I had to get you on the show. Now Now you're stuck. You got to come back. Like at this point, now you know you're stuck. Exactly. So just expect these messages all the time. You're going to be coming on. You get rid of that mask, and I'm going to be on this show, brother. You got it. <laughs> Appreciate it, Alan. We'll talk soon, okay? Appreciate it, brother. Bye-bye. Take care. And there you go. A big thank you to Alan Joban for joining me for this UFC 273 preview show. Uh, should be a great event this weekend. Two title fights at the top. Of course, the return of Hamza Chemaev against Gilbert Burns and all the other fights. We broke down on the main card. Uh, make sure you check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and, of course, you can always find us over on MMAfighting.com. Look forward to the event on Saturday. Of course, we'll talk about the fallout next week. Also, of course, we got another big fight coming up next week with Vicente Luque taking on Bilal Muhammad in the main event over there, so uh, look forward to that. As always, want to say a big thank you for everyone that tunes in each week to The Fighter versus The Rider. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible. Eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.